Hello and welcome to another episode of the quest for new inspiration. My name is Katie Mashler. This week I will be interviewing Chad Shanshagrin, who is the owner of Cannonball Moments. And not only is he, he a big inspiration on all of his This week, I will be interviewing Chad Shanshagrin, who is the owner of Cannonball Moments. Not only is he a big inspiration on all of his platforms, he has his own podcast and is, in fact, one of my favorite inspirational speakers. I hope he inspires you as much as he's inspired me. Yes, now you can hear me? Yes. Hello. Hello. Okay. What's happening? Not much. It's Friday. How are you? It's Friday. I am good. I'm home. I was in um I was in uh I was in Denver. I had to think about where I was. I was in Denver and Boise. Boise, oh, Idaho this week. Okay. So I was like, so, so I got home late last night. And then I leave uh Sunday for Des Moines, Iowa. Like all these fun places. Awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, if you just want to start with introducing yourself and just a little bit about you, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, my name is Chad Santron, and I own a uh, performance training company called Cannonball Moments. So I get to work with uh, really high performers in the corporate world on uh, not just the tactics of how to be a better leader, a better salesperson, but really on the mindset and the kind of the belief system that you need to have true fulfillment and not just corporate success. Gotcha. Okay. So I saw, I first got introduced to you because I'm not sure if either my boss was featured on one of the webinars that you were featured on, or if I was just assigned to watch it, but it was just as the quarantine was starting and you were doing this inspirational speech about your running <laughs> running challenge and do you want to oh, just yeah. explain a little bit of that oh yeah that was so I, I, I I've been a runner for like the last four years and I really started I started for all the wrong reasons like I started because I wanted to run a marathon so I could tell people I ran a marathon it was 100% ego based and I did it and I ran I ran the marathon but I again you can do you know there's a lot of people that do the right thing but you do it for the wrong reason and it still equals the wrong thing so it's, you know, you got to do the right things for the right reasons. And I was doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. But, but nonetheless, I started running. Uh, I ran my first New York City Marathon. I hated it. I ran the second time because of, uh, I didn't want my friends doing it without me. Again, ego, purpose only. And then I did it the third time. And I was like, I'm absolutely like doing this for the wrong reason. And I realized that I had this big shift moment. And I decided I was going to go all in. I really focused on like, becoming a better runner, becoming a better version of myself and a healthier version of myself. And so I started running. And then when the quarantine started, I felt like I wanted to kind of push myself to see what I was really capable of. And so I did this, this running challenge called the calendar club challenge. A friend of mine, Jesse had introduced me to it. And, but basically what it is, is you run the day of the month, in miles. So the first day of the month, you just got to run one mile. The second day of the month, just two miles, third, so on, so on. It's really easy until you get like to four, the 14th day of the month. And so it was, it, it was in April and I said, right, I'm going to do this challenge. We were quarantined. And so I was doing great. 14 miles, 15 miles, 16th day, 16 miles. And I got all the way up to the 22nd day and my ego got a hold of me. I was running a 22 mile run. I run, run 21 the day before. 
And I was like, well, if I'm going to run 22, then I might as well just run 26 because you're so close to a marathon, right? So just, just do an extra four miles. And so I ran a marathon on the 22nd. And then on the 23rd, I went out for a 23-mile run. And I said, well, I can't, I can't now not do another marathon. So I ran a marathon on the 23rd. I did the same thing on the 24th. And then on the 25th, I did it again, but I uh, hurt my leg, my left leg. Um, started, like I woke up, I was in a lot of pain. And I said, I was never going to quit. I was never going to quit on the course. If I was going to quit, I was going to quit. At, like I wasn't going to start the run. And so I was like, if I just start, I'll finish it. So it was the 25th, <clears throat> my leg hurt. I ran, got through it. The 26th, I woke up, I ran. It was my fifth or sixth marathon in a row in six days. And I broke my leg. So, so I couldn't, so I, I finished it. I was like dragging my leg behind me. It was the worst, worst pain I'd ever been in. And, um, I got home. I, my leg was black and blue basically. And my wife said, if my wife said, if you even think about going out for a run tomorrow, you will not have to worry about your leg. I will kill you. I will literally kill you. So I went to the doctor the next day. I went to the hospital the next day and found out I was fractured. Uh, and then, so I was, I was, I went to like, and I'm, a, I'm like a enthusiastic optimist. I'm a, I am a, uh, I'm not always like a male Mary Poppins, but I am pretty much a happy or lucky guy. And, and, but I was really like in a dark place for like the next week and a half and all my friends rallied around and they ran for me and I tried to offer a ton of support, but I was so close and I didn't finish uh, what I wanted to finish. And I was really disappointed. So I couldn't run. I wasn't allowed to run for two months. So two months I was, I was, I was frustrated because I had done all this work to build up all this endurance and uh, I felt like it was all, you know, being taken away from me. And so, so, so a couple, like a couple months went by and I was like, I went back to the doctor, I was on crutches, I got the boot off, I got everything was done. And um, it was the end of August and I said, so I'm free to run. She said, yeah, just take it easy, like slow, slow races. And then, so September 1st, I started the calendar club challenge again. So two weeks after I was like, all right, I'm going to do, I'm doing it this month. And uh, I should have picked a month that had less days, but so I like February or something. So, but anyway, so then I, I did it in September and I was able to finish it. Uh, and I, and the difference was I stuck to the mileage, except for on the very last day, on the 30th day, I ran 31 miles just because I could. And so it took me two tries, but I failed miserably the first time I tried it. But then I came back in September and I, I knocked it out of the park. Do you have any yeah. like summary life lessons from all of that? Oh, oh my gosh. I could write a whole book about it. Um, yeah, I, and I, there were so many ways to do it. There were people that have done this challenge before and they, they split it up. Like they ran half of the runs in the morning and half of like if they had an eight mile run, they run four in the morning, four at night. Um, every one of my runs was a straight run. So there was no breaks. Like I go out and whatever. And so I spent a lot of time by myself and I worked the whole time. I remember like the last four runs, I was in Des Moines, Iowa. So I ran at midnight, got done at like five in the morning and then spoke all day and then slept and then got up at midnight and, and ran again. So I was running in the middle of the night towards the end, like every run. So I had a lot of time to think. And I think one of the things that really, uh, I can remember really cool story, uh, at least it's cool to me. And I have, the, I have, I have it, oh, it's sitting in my dresser, but I was running and it was about two o'clock in the morning. It was on the 29th day, the 30th day, 29th day. I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm running down this long, this long straight road. This road's probably like, uh, six, seven miles long. And I'd run it the day before, so I knew exactly where I was going. And I'm coming up on an intersection, and there's a huge screw in the middle of the road. 
like at this middle of this intersection, like coming out of a community, this weird shaped big screw just sitting right in the center of the street. And I saw it when I was running up, I had a headlamp on, and I saw it when I was running up. And uh, it just, I don't know how it caught my eye, why it caught my eye, but it caught my eye. And I saw it and I'm like, I should pick that screw up. But I was like 10 miles into the, into the run. I still had, you know, 18 miles to go. And I'm like, I, I, I was I was like, I just got to stay focused. So I saw this girl and I'm like, I should pick it up. Somebody's going to drive over it. It's going to get in the tire. It's going to ruin their morning. Let me, I should pick the screw up. But I see it keep coming up to it. And I'm like, I, I, I can't, I don't even want to bend it. I'm six foot eight. So like me bending over, it's not, it's not like graceful. Right. And so, so I see, so I see the screw and I'm like, I should pick the screw up. And I, but I don't pick it up. And I run past the screw and I just keep on going. And I'm about 25 yards past the screw. And I'm like, I should have picked that screw up. And now I'm having a conversation with myself in my mind about this screw. Right? I should pick it up. It's gonna, but I don't, listen, I got 16 miles to go. I don't feel like turning back around, bending over, picking up the screw. So I keep running. Now 50 yards past the screw. And I'm like, I should pick the screw up. And then I'm 75 yards up. Why didn't I pick that screw up? Now I'm 100 yards. Now I'm like, a, I get to the point where I'm like almost like a quarter mile past the screw. Right? I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going six miles on my way back. I'll pick the screw up. Right? That was, this is my logic. And I was like, no. I said, what if something happens now in between now? And it's, it's the middle of the night. Like somebody's caught, like, so what if somebody comes now? And so I'm a quarter mile out. And I'm like, I can't, like, I just go back. I run back. I turn around. There's nobody, there's, there's pitch, like, there's nobody out. There's no cars out. There's no nothing. And I go back and I run back and I pick the screw up. And I put the screw in my pocket. And I realized that that was a big, big shift. And I use that word a lot, shift. Um, shift for me stands for see how I find truth, see how I find truth moment. And it was a big shift moment. And I said, and I kept the screw. And the reason why it was so big, it's not about the screw. It's about the person that I was becoming on this journey, not just in the journey of this calendar club, but over the course of the last 15 or 20 years of my life, where a long time ago, one, I would have never even noticed the screw. Two, I would never even thought like it could damage somebody's car. And three, I damn sure wasn't going to stop and pick it up because that's not who I was. But I have, but now when given the choice to do the right thing or the wrong thing, uh, make a difference or not make a difference, when I, when I choose not to act, it weighs on me. And now I make the decision more times, more, I make the decision more times correctly than I don't. And now I still make the wrong decision enough times that I shouldn't. But the, but the idea is like, I was really proud of myself and the, the rest of that run and every run for the next two days after that, I carried the screw with me. It's, the, the screw is sitting on my dresser upstairs. And for me, every time I see the screw, it's like kind of an indication that I'm becoming the person I've always wanted to become. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet, but we have these slight indications that we're supposed to look for. I think that allow us to say, I'm on my path. I'm on my path. So a lot of times what we do is we see the decisions we don't make correctly and we beat ourselves up for them and we make ourselves feel bad and we punish ourselves and we're the only creature in the world that pays for a mistake more than once. A dog doesn't do something wrong and then feel bad about it 30 minutes later, right? We do something wrong. We don't live up to our best self and we don't um, make the decision probably we should have and it weighs on us and we beat ourselves up and we beat ourselves up. What we don't do is give ourselves credit for all the right decisions we made. And so we have these indications for me, like that's an indication that I'm heading in the right direction. I'm 47 years old and I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I become the version I want to become, but I, but I, but I have these indications that I'm heading in the right direction. That was my biggest takeaway from that whole run. Yay. <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was almost one of the pure reasons I wanted you on this podcast is because you have the ability to turn a run into something <laughs> motivational and like just like a quote that I literally want to write on my whiteboard. Like, how do you, how? I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. That, that's awesome. But, yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's a big, you know, I think the thing is that we, we, we have to start being conscious more of those things. I was giving a talk yesterday in Boise and um, I have a strong faith. Uh, and I, I don't push my faith on other people, but I, but I, but I am guided by it and I don't diminish it either. And I think one of the things I said yesterday was that you were created upgradable. Like you were create, you are like created as this finished project, right? Like you are like everything about you was you have the ability to constantly be upgraded, but there's a point in our life where we stop trying to upgrade to a better version of ourselves. Like to think that I can be the same father to my daughters today when they're 16 that I was when I was, when they were two would be, is not, doesn't make sense, right? I, I, I have to become a better father. I have to become a better husband. I have to become a, a, a healthier me. I have to become a better trainer, a better business owner. And when you, when, once you set your point on, hey, I'm gonna keep trying to upgrade myself, the universe gives you signs to tell you you're in the right direction, that you're going in the right direction. Uh, we just, for me, we, I don't think we open, uh, for me, I wasn't opening my eyes to Sam. So it's not about the screw, it's about what the screw represents. Is there a certain thing that just generally gives you motivation to share all of this motivation to others? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think no. I think that I think every, you know, I think every human being in them. I, I, I talk a lot about this, and now I think every human being in them has a New York Times best-selling book, right? And, I, and again, I don't literally mean a book. I'm saying I think they could write it, but they have all this information, they have all this wisdom, but they diminish their own platform. And there's no platform, in my opinion, that is more important than another human being's platform. But my platform today is just as important as platform as the person working with the Chick-fil-A drive-through window right now, or, or your platform, or like, every platform all gives value and all contributes to the betterment of somebody. And I think that you don't, understand, like, you don't get to move to another platform until you understand why you're on the platform you are. And it's always for me about contribution. And a lot of times what happens is, you know, go back to that, that book that I think everybody has in them. They don't write it or they don't share for one of three reasons. Either one, they don't believe that they have any value to give. They don't believe that their story, their life experiences, their knowledge, their wisdom will make a difference. And right. So that's one, they have nothing to give Two, nobody's going to listen to it. Nobody's going to listen to it. They, they have a fear that nobody's going to listen to it or they're going to be ridiculed or they're going to be made fun of, or they don't have the credentials. I don't, I graduated high school with a 1.6 grade point average, literally a 1.6 grade. I never went to college. I never went to college. I didn't read my first book until I was 25 years old. Literally not one book, my entire high school career. I didn't read my first book until I was 25 years old. And so I had this story in my head that said, I have nothing to contribute. I have nothing to contribute. The minute I decided that my life was worthy of contribution is the minute that my life changed. Because when you, when you believe that you're worthy to contribute, then all of a sudden you don't tolerate less. You don't settle, like you, you feel like, hey, I have something to contribute, which changes your whole perspective on how you see the world and how you view yourself. And all of a sudden you just start contributing it. And I think that liberates other people to contribute. 
So I don't look like somebody said, somebody called me a couple weeks ago. They said, uh, Chad, you're a really good motivator or you're motivational or something. Or you're, you're a good motivational speaker or something like that. And I was like, oh, but yeah, but that's not what I do. Maybe I, I know I just tell my story. Like, this is my story. And I encourage you to tell your story and, and you tell it enough times and people will start to follow it. So the follow the people getting motivated is, is a result. It's not a, it's not a cause for me. It's not like I want to go around motivating people, but I hope that the way that I live my life inspires other people to live their life the way they want, you know, not my way, their way. Do you have like a specific moment that or shift as you, as you recall it, that like just started this? Oh Yeah journey for you yeah august august 21st 19 august 21st august 21st 1999 at 11 30 p.m why is that i know exactly where i was i know exactly i know exactly where i was the moment my life changed so i was i was in a bar in downtown baltimore and i was with who is now my wife and we uh so i had met my wife kim i'd met her this in june of that year we were at the same bar. She walked in. My a friend of mine was was flirting with her, hitting on her, like trying to trying to give his Mac Daddy vibes, and she and she was she was like shooting him down, and I was just like the co the wingman there, just watching. And it was it was so comical because everything he tried, she was like blowing him off, and then try again, and she was blowing him off, and this went on for hours. And so if, if I would have had a cell phone back then, I would have videotaped it. It would have went viral because it was like comical. That was a really shitty wingman. And anyway, so at the end, at the end of the, at the end of the night, he said, um, he clearly was going to strike out. The lights came on and I said, Hey, he's not getting your phone number. Can I get your phone number? And she said, sure. And she wrote her phone number back on the back of a business card. I still have it. And so I, so I, we were going out, she was home from college. We were going to go out that Friday night uh, for dinner, we went out to a place, Red Brick Station, that Friday night, and it was the worst date I'd ever been on in my life. It was all, aw- it was god awful. Like it was the worst date ever. Uh, like I was ordering, I was getting the check before the entrees came, because it was Friday night, and Friday night, and I was like missing a a a, a night downtown where I lived with the boys, and for this, for this horrible date, right? It was the worst, and so it was just god awful. And so I hurried up. Like I think we met at like maybe we met at like eight o'clock, seven thirty, eight o'clock, and the date was over. The date was over, and I was in my car heading back downtown by nine o'clock. Oh no! <laughs> and I said, I said I would call her, and, and you know, thanks. We had a great time. I said I would call her, and then I never called her. Yeah. Like I just, I just completely blew her off, and never thought about it again. And then I saw, and then the end of, and then August, and then that night in August, I was in the same bar and she walked in with some friends. I didn't remember where I knew her from. I didn't even recognize her really. She's beautiful, but I didn't recognize her. I'm like, I know this girl. I know this girl, but I couldn't think of it. She came right up to me and she said, Hey, how are you? And I said, Oh, good. Hey, how are you? I didn't still at this point did not remember her name. And, uh, she said, uh, I said, Hey, how was your summer? She said, great. And she said, um, let me tell you the highlight. I went out on a date with this guy. He said he was going to call and then never called. Like, busted me on it right there. And then immediately right there, I remembered where I knew her from. Like, what a jackass. And so I was, I tried to be very cool, like swat. And I was like, oh, well, you know, some men are just jackasses. Let me make up for that guy and buy you a drink. And I don't know why. Because it, it, I clearly didn't deserve it. But she said, okay, you can buy me a drink. And we sat and we talked the rest of the night. 
and I got up and she was amazing. It was amazing conversation. And she was the reason I realized. So at 1130 that night around 1130, I don't know the exact one, but around 1130, I got up to go to the bathroom and get a drink. And I realized I like this epiphany, this shift moment. I realized why the first date was so bad. And that was because we had nothing in common. She was going to school. She was going to two different universities. She was going to Villanova and Drexel at the same exact time. One to get her law degree, one to get her PhD. Same time. She, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. She was driven. She wasn't, she didn't really drink. She didn't really party. This, she was just there with friends, but this was, this was not who she was. She was knew exactly what she was going to do. She was going to be a doctor and a lawyer. She was beautiful. She was educated. She had already gotten her master's from Loyola. She, like, she was, this, this girl was beautiful and bright. And I knew that she was way, I, I remember on our first date, on that first date, I'd asked her if she, um, somehow we were like, oh, I was like, hey, you want to get a shot? I was 24. I was like, never, I had a horrible credit. I, all I did was drink and party and work at a hotel. I wasn't really clearly driven. And so anyway, so I remember saying to her, hey, you want to get a shot? She goes, oh, I've never done a shot. She was 25 years old. She had never done a shot. And I was like, this, something's wrong with this girl, right? That's what I thought on that first date. Because I had never been around somebody that was so driven, so purposeful, and so like, like amazing. And so I realized standing in the bar that in August, when I was looked back at it, like, like the reason that the first date was so bad was because I was way out of her league. She was way out of my league. Like we, I, wasn't, I wasn't in the same league as her. And why even bother? And that was that resounding story, that critic in my head that had played my whole life that I clearly wasn't enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't wealthy enough. I wasn't good looking enough. I wasn't like all these stories that I convinced myself of. And so at that moment, I was like, I can either like, I can either like continue down this path of misery or I can make a decision to move forward and try to get to figure out what she did and how she, like why she, why it was possible for her and like really change my perspective. And I, I decided right then and there that I was going to change my story. And I spent, and we ended up, I ended up, she left for Philadelphia the, uh, two days later. And I drove up there a week later and took her out. And for the next three months, I drove back and forth to Philly, taking her out to dinner and, and dating her. And then four months later, I moved to Philadelphia and we've been married 20 years. And it was, so the idea was for me that that was the biggest shift moment in my life. Like I, people change for one of two reasons, either desperation or inspiration. They either get so desperate of living the way they've been living and they're so tired of that critic that's taken over their life and that story, that resounding story that they're just not enough. They're not clearly worthy enough of a life of abundance or a life of love or a life of success. And they decide, I can't take it anymore. And they change because of that. Or they find somebody or they find something that inspires them to change the course of their life. On that very moment, on that very day, I got both. Because I was, I was so desperate and so broken. And I saw somebody who was beautiful, smart, amazing, courageous, driven. And I was inspired to figure out. And what's amazing, even after 20 years now, 20 years, two kids, she owns her own business. I own my own business. She's never once told me what to do. She never once said, you need to do this or you need to do that. She never controlled me in the sense of, you need to change your life. She just lived her life and I watched and I became a reader. I became driven. And I still, again, it was not a perfect, like straight line to where I am today. It was an EKG machine up and down, but, but, but it was always going up because I was seeing what she did. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I want that. I want to be on that playing field. I want to be on that level of, of and, and so that was the, the very moment that changed my life. 
That is, that is so awesome. I love that story. You should turn that into like a movie or like a Hallmark <laughs> movie. You could do a Hallmark movie out of that. I could do a Hallmark movie. Yes, my kids would love it because they love the Hallmark channel. Yeah. I'm like, you're not watching another Hallmark movie, are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, especially during Christmas time. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's Constant. exactly right. That's okay. exactly right. One of my last questions is, you. what's your favorite inspirational movie? You mentioned in the podcast you recorded for the Home Builder Digital Marketing Podcast, you mentioned Patch Adams. Patch Adams. My favorite inspirational yeah. movie. Like, makes me yeah. cry every time. I've seen it 15 Yeah, years. the best. Oh, my gosh. When the butterfly at the end lands on his shoulder, like, that's so the best, good. right? So good. Yeah, well, that line in the movie, that's what I talked about, you know, you treat, the, you treat the patient, you win some, you lose some, you treat the person, you win every time. Oh, that's good. Patch Adams is right up there with, uh, with one of my favorite, mo- favorite inspirational movies of all time. Wow, that's a good, that's the best podcast question I've ever been asked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. My favorite romantic comedy, I know off the top of my head, is Notting Hill. That's my favorite. Uh, my favorite inspiration, favorite war movie is Saving Private Ryan. Favorite inspirational movie. It's cliche. It's cliche, but I love I love Rudy. Rudy is um, Rudy is one of my favorite inspirational movies. I think the story of uh, what that guy had to do to get onto Notre Dame football was amazing. But I'm probably still gonna have to go with Patch Adams. I'm probably gonna go with Patch Adams because I think for me the idea of and I think this is where we get lost. And, and my whole company is really philosophy is based around this idea there's so many people i just i was just i kicked off a new client in boise yesterday and the last two days and when we did that sales call i'm on the i'm on the phone with the vp and he said um he said something about being a sales trainer he says oh it's great we really need a sales trainer and i said oh oh hold on there must be some confusion and he said what do you mean i said you're looking for a sales trainer i'm not your guy he goes what are you talking about don't you train salespeople? i said Oh, that's like, we'll get sales, sales will improve, but I'm not a sales trainer. He goes, I'm really confused. I thought you were a sales trainer. I said, no, a sales trainer trains the position. If you want somebody to come in and train your positions, your salespeople, your, your uh, sales managers, your construction manager, then you you should probably hire somebody else. Cause I'm, that's not who I am. That's not what I do. He said, okay, but then what do you do? I said, Oh, we, we help coach the person, the actual person, because people are not positions. People are people and they have desires and they have needs and they have wants and they have struggles. And unless you're going to invest in the entirety of a person, you probably shouldn't invest in any of them or just at least find somebody that only cares about the position. And he goes, all right, you're hired. <laughs> and so, and the, so to me, and I think that for a long time, people were not uh, in the corporate world. They were afraid to say that. They're afraid to say that because all they, we believe that all they wanted was to drive bottom line profit, which is really important to get sales, which is really important. But none of that's possible if your people aren't growing, if your people don't feel good, if your people don't feel valued or worthy or enough. Or and so our entire philosophy is around: you treat the you treat the position. Yeah, maybe your sales go up, maybe they go down, maybe your leadership gets better, maybe it goes down. But if you treat the person you will win every time. And that's from Pat Adams. Yes, perfect. Best line ever. Best line ever. Inspiring others is always a result. Mm-hmm. Always a result.
And so people that set out to inspire others usually do for, so for the wrong reasons. They're doing it for ego purposes. I want to inspire others. Well, the best way to inspire others is to inspire yourself. To, you know, I just said this yesterday in a social media post that we should, be by, we should be inspired by the person we're capable of becoming. So like your journey is about becoming a better version of yourself in whatever area you, you feel you want to become better in. When you do that, everybody else will notice it. Everybody else will notice it and they'll take, they'll be like, oh shit, right? Oh shit. Yeah. And, and that's how you become a boss bitch, in my opinion, right? You, you constantly say, this is where I am. This is where I want to go. This is where I want to be. And how do I get from here to here? And on my journey from here to there, it's my, the way that I operate, the way that my mindset works, the way that I conduct myself, the way that I contribute, the way that I interact that's people are going to stand up and take notice. If you take, and what happens is people see that and they're like, holy shit. And all of a sudden they start following her and they start looking at her like, what's she doing? All right. Well, that is it for this week. And I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast and you can help me share these inspirational stories by rating and reviewing the quest for new inspiration on Apple podcast or your favorite podcast platform. If you have a question or an inspirational story you'd like to share, you can send them my way. You can send me a message on Instagram at Quest for New Inspiration or email me at newinspirationpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and be sure to join me next time.